This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we give you a full recap on the Wake Forest loss from Saturday. Sam Hartman and the Demon Deacons defeated Vanderbilt 45-25 to on West End at First Bank Stadium. There was some good, but there was more bad in this game. Will and I do our quarter-by-quarter analysis. We give you our three key takeaways And we also asked the question, is Vanderbilt an underdog at NIU coming up on Saturday afternoon up in Illinois? We will discuss that, everything we saw in the Wake Forest game. And we asked the question, could we see A.J. Swan start a game this season? What will Clark Lee do at the quarterback position after seeing what A.J. Swan was able to put up in the second half on West End on Saturday We discuss all of that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Commodore Nation, let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back Relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 178. It is September 12th on a Monday night here. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Family owned and operated for more than two decades, Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior Customer service growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters, 2505 Winford Avenue in Berry Hill. You can also call them at 615-356-0303 or look at them on their website, alacofinewoodfloors.com. Alaco Finewood Floors, serving Middle Tennessee's hardwood flooring needs since 1995. Well, we've got a lot to get to in this Wake Forest recap. My goodness, a lot of it coming in the first half, of course, uh, but a good chunk of it from a certain quarterback we saw in the second half we're going to get to as well. Uh, We will have our quarter-by-quarter analysis. Will's got his notes on on, uh, each quarter. I've got first half. Will, you've got first, second, and third quarters, so we're going to do a majority of this game uh, analysis quarter-by-quarter somewhat. And then, of course... And first little stretch of that fourth quarter. Yeah. uh, And just just one drive by that one quarterback in particular. But I can, (laughs) you know, I skimmed a little more through that part. I uh, love it. Love it. three key takeaways uh, as well. I, you know, Will, I have more on the quarter breakdown than my takeaways. More beef in the breakdown. So I think 
I think we'll, we will hit on our takeaways within the quarter analysis as well, but we'll just, and we'll, we'll have a rule. Like our takeaways have to be under like 10 words or something. Let's, let's make a rule here that the takeaways, so we can go over them in the breakdown, but when you actually run through each one has to be less than a certain amount of words. Yeah. You have to be able to consolidate it down. So I think that'll be good. We're not usually good at that, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Not at all. Uh, And will it's getting worse. Could Vanderbilt be an underdog? At NIU, I, I saw a tweet about it. I don't have confirmation. I tried to look on uh, a couple sites. Well, it was weird. The line was weird because it was so different. I think Vegas is having a pretty tough time with this one. Because remember in, in college football that a home field advantage is going to be worth about two and a half to three points Yeah, yeah. normally, yeah. Uh, pretty much no matter where you are. And right. really, you don't know anything about Vanderbilt or NIU when you look yeah. at the matchups, but but we've got Wake Forest still to break down before yes. we look too far yes, ahead. But it's looking like it's basically a, a, a toss-up in that yeah. NIU game right yeah. now. Yeah, it's it's it'll likely be a pick at least now. Uh, now it might change, but you know we'll get to that later. Will, before we get to this huge breakdown, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, it's time for the Wake Forest Recap. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let's dive into it. You got to take a deep breath before this. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of talking, a lot of analyzing. Some hot takes will be thrown in there. I'm fired up, Will. I, I'm. This is. I, I haven't been this excited for an episode in a while. Um, you know, we get excited for preseason episodes, but there's nothing like recapping a game where you know your emotions were in it, and you, you know they were tied into the game, and there was a lot of that, especially in the first half. So. We'll get to all that, but Will, let's start. And basically what we're going to do, you know, I'll go through key key plays in each quarter. You know, I'll talk about it. You'll give, you know, your thoughts on it as well. This will be kind of a flowing conversation of each quarter in this game. And I told Will before this, I've got first quarter, second quarter, and a little bit of third quarter. Will's got first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and a little bit of fourth quarter. So most of this game we've got analysis on Will I'm going to start, uh, of course, first quarter. Uh, I got a couple things to hit on first. Bringing Jade McGowan in motion, they did that a few times. I think they need to do it more. I mean, that that that's a weapon in and of itself, especially when, you know, you've got him on film going going side to side, you know, reversing. I think that's 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 kind of a quick note I saw, and they did it a couple times. And, you know, I think that that works to their advantage when they do do it. They don't always send them in motion. Of course, they're not going to do it every play. But I thought that was a little note I thought on McGowan. Will, the conditions definitely impacted this game 
throughout the game. I mean, it was raining the whole game. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it stopped all day on Saturday in Nashville. I mean, it wasn't ever really pouring other than maybe in the second quarter. Uh, it really started. To there was out. a stretch. We'll get to it in the second quarter, but there was a stretch where it was coming down. Yeah. And, and I think that the wet ball typically is going to help Vanderbilt. Just, I think that helped them. Yeah. in this Wake Forest game and allowed them to slow down the Wake Forest offense. But yeah, there's a particular moment in the second quarter where that that rain really impacts how you would view the play calling at certain points. And I have little notes yes. about that as we run through this game that yeah. there are some things that if you just read through the play-by-play and the play calling, you would say, well, this doesn't make any sense or you don't like this call. And I did that running through the play-by-play, marking what plays I wanted to watch, you know, situationally over and over and see why and what was going on and what happened. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with with just the ball being wet and the right. field being wet and having yeah. weird things happen that, that I didn't notice live with guys slipping uh, away from the play. And you just don't notice those things the first time you watch it. So with, there's a lot of weird things that were involved this in this game, including some uh, interesting refereeing that uh, oh, didn't necessarily benefit Vanderbilt, I will say. Very interesting. We will get to all that. There's so much to get to here. Uh, well, conditions impacted the game, definitely. It impacted the crowd, of course. We know that. There was a big chunk of people that just left at halftime and said, screw this. I'm not sitting in this rain any longer. Um, but it was an entertaining first half as a whole, an entertaining first quarter as well. Mike Wright, of course, uh, on the fumble, that's where it played a, a role. The rain did Hartman on the first possession and throughout the quarter, he couldn't really get a good grip on the ball. I mean, the deep one, the first deep one to AT Perry, uh, it wasn't the best ball. It might've been pass interference on BJ Anderson, uh, potentially, but it, I don't know that it was even a catchable ball, uh, because of, you know, how wet it was. So, um, that's, that's what you got there. Uh, Commodores, they were moving the football though early. Will. I mean, second drive in particular, the game, they started out great, but two huge drops by Shepard and Schoenwald. Both were good throws, I thought, by Mike. The throw to Gavin was a little low, um, but their margin for error is so small, Will, that you, you've got to cash in on those. You have to. The first one, especially Shepard, it would have been maybe third and two or second and two after that, and then say, mm -hmm. you know, it's a better throw to Gavin. That's a first down. I mean, it all works together. The margin is so small. So they have to, and more particular, Shepard. Schoenwald's not necessarily a catching tight end. Shepard, you've got to catch it. I mean, just catch the ball. Yeah, there are a few things, because this is my first one that once I went back and really thought through it and, and watched the game as an entirety with these points already in my mind, this is the first thing about the play calling that, that kind of bothered me. Uh, there, there were a lot of out routes that they ran early uh, in this weather. And, and that was not one ideal. thing that you, that you think about. And it's not just that that's a long throw. I understand you're trying to take advantage of man coverage. Uh, the, these uh, Wake Forest corners were just completely playing up on, on Shepard and whoever they were guarding and just leaving these opportunities for Mike Wright to exploit the one-on-one -on -one coverage. And they just couldn't take advantage of it all day. And you're trying to simplify the read. So you're playing your first power five defense. You're trying not to go to the middle of the field too much. And, and have Mike Wright not be able to see somebody peeling back and help and throw an interception. But the other side of that is it's raining. And that catch on an out route, if that ball is thrown even a little bit outside, and even if it's thrown perfectly, is all hands. You have no other way to block that with your body 
or catch it whatsoever with anything, but how you have to turn your hands and catch it. So situationally, I had an issue with what routes were called. And then this was the first example of on the throw to Schoenwald, even if it's a perfect throw, he's not going to pick up the first down at short. But Mike Wright's pass is just being a little bit off. It still should have been caught. And especially the one to Will Shepard, they definitely should have been caught on that second down play, maybe Schoenwald, but they were just a little bit off. And you talk about that margin of error, the throw being a little bit off, and we'll get to a play that happens later in this quarter, but the throw being a little bit off can be the difference in a 20, 25-yard gain and a touchdown. And when you have a team like Vanderbilt that's playing as an underdog against a ranked opponent with an explosive offense, you have to capitalize on those few chances you get to cash in. Yeah, and it will. This goes later in the season. If they want to pull off an upset against an SEC team, they've got to be laser focused. Mm-hmm. That their margin for error is minuscule. So, and I know we've talked about that. Uh, will there's a play? And and remember that first yeah. drive was actually the first fumble from Davis that he was that we were able to recover. And, right, and right, punt, yeah. So. That was actually I, that that was that was another turnover that could have that was saved by Davis, but that could have happened. But well, I I go now to the kickoff. Kickoff coverage. Wake Forest has a big kickoff. I think they got it past midfield. Uh, team speed, Will, is better, but it's definitely not where it needs to be still. Still right now. It, 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 is, it has improved from last year, but I noticed that kickoff. I think that was the only kickoff that, you know, that was a big kickoff. But that one, um, that was, you know, still early in the first quarter, uh, the kickoff after Vanderbilt. I think it's after Vanderbilt gets the, the field goal from Bullivus. That's after, that's after the uh... – route complaints that I was going over yes, is, is yes. right after that kickoff is the out routes when the rain really started getting a little heavier. Right. Right. So the kickoff that Flash I continuing. To throw, throw that in there, you know, just, you know, that happened against Elon uh, uh, once or twice as well. Big kickoff returns can't have it, especially when you're playing uh, some teams that are a little bit faster than Elon and Wake Forest in the SEC. Uh, well on defense, they played, they played pretty well in the first quarter. I mean, I thought, I thought they came out ready. I thought they they were prepared. They were in the right spots. Um, yes, on the on the throw uh, deep to At Perry, BJ Anderson got deep or got beat deep. Um, but other than that, I thought in the first quarter, you know, they played pretty well as a defense. And you know, yeah, there's always room for improvement. Maybe they can get more pressure, you know, things like that. But I thought they played close to just about as well as they could against an offense like that. Uh, BJ Anderson. Might have committed pass interference on A.T. Perry. This is at the eight-minute mark. But, and they already talked about that, you know, that wasn't the best ball from Hartman. The rain affected that as well. It, it um, was. It should have been a completion. That was the same thing that right. you'll see later in the game that was a touchdown for them. Hartman in the not rain and not in his second drive mm-hmm. of the season completes that. 19 out of 20 times yeah and in the air i thought he just had it. chalk that up on the on the co- on the coaches board when they will evaluate that will count the exact same i know it doesn't in fans minds but that is the exact same play for bj anderson that actually hurt them on the scoreboard yep so that's that's the part of like when i was ticking things off that's another thing is this team continuously and we will show the examples of the different timestamps. but here's the one at the eight minute mark in the first quarter from B.J. Anderson getting deep, deep, and maybe Maxwell Worship had some responsibility there, I'm not sure, and took a step forward on that slow mesh. Right, and then, you know, you also had Jeremy Lucian came in for Anderson in the second half. Well, I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, Lucian played the second half. <laughs> he might have played might have played a little bit pretty well. as a starter. You know, he, he did play well. So, you know, hint, hint, uh, potentially there. Uh, Will, moving on to – oh, man, here we go. 
the late hit on uh, out of bounds from a Wusu, <laughs> late hit in quotation marks um, on Hartman was just awful. I mean, that was that was awful. I know Hartman. He he purposefully, as smart as he is, he purposefully. Did you notice how he stepped his foot out of bounds? He purposefully. Oh, I'm I'm about to get hit. Let me hit. Let me go out of bounds. Let me in quote go out of bounds real quick. Um, and I think the excuse was the play was dead, but he was in bounds. I mean, his, his whole body up. was in bounds, and he'd actually broken the tackle. Is the craziest part? He was completely free of worship, I believe it was, before he was hit. From the defender's perspective, worship ha- didn't even have a hold of him anymore when he no. was hit. He was yeah. just going to run up the sideline for a touchdown. You know what he, he did? Was streaking Will? in. Yeah, you know what he did? He he broke the tackle and then boom, steps his foot out of bounds because he knows he's going to get hit. And you know, yeah. obviously smart on him, but at the at the same time, as a referee, you can't call that. I mean, you can you cannot call that, and it gets worse after that. Of course, they didn't call uh, the blatant hit on Mike. We will get to that. Um, that gave them a first. Those, pass. those, by the way, not even the two worst refereeing calls of the game. No, there's more. Calls. There, I just want to point out there is more. There is one actually, in particular that is one of the most blatant things ever, and and the Mike Wright one was one, but this was just a normal penalty that was like how. Yeah, there's there's even more. There's pictures to prove it on Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, well that get that gave them a first down at like the eight yard line. Um, but Vanderbilt's defense responds. What a stand. I mean, what a stand mm-hmm. by that defense. <laughs> that was the loudest I've heard First Bank Stadium ever. I mean, and, you know, a little joke there, Will. I was going to say Vanderbilt Stadium, but now it's First Bank <laughs> Stadium. Um, Kane Patterson got in there, Will. Orgy was everywhere. I mean, they had what? Did they have four, three plays with, from within the five-yard line to score? I mean, that was – Yeah, they, because remember, they had that first play, and he drove the pile yeah, to, I mean, like, I the thought, one. At that point, I was like, oh, they're going to score easily here. I mean, but they stand strong. Clawson calls a timeout before the third down. Then Clark Lee calls a timeout before the third down. He's like, no, we're getting this stop. We're, we're getting this stop. They go back out. They stop him on third. They go back out. They stop him on fourth. And I hadn't heard that stadium that loud in a long time. And, Will, that's a type of – that's a type of program type play where you look at it and you say, okay, this team, they, they're bought in They're I mean, it, you just, you felt it. I mean, you felt a, it, a feeling that you didn't really feel much last year. And in the latter years of Mason, you just didn't. And so that was there. Uh, Vanderbilt had all the momentum at that point. I mean, the stadium, everyone's on their feet. Uh, but then Michael Wright throws a brutal pick six and, when I say brutal, that was brutal. Um, I mean, he he didn't even know where he was throwing the football. That is that is the definition of sucked the air out of the stadium. I, I like that was every bit of energy that that stadium had. <laughs> saw the interception and said this. I mean, I don't want to say they said it, but they said this game is over. I mean, when that you can't <laughs> give that give up a pick six, especially in that way after you have kind of squandered some chances to be up more than you are. Uh, in this weather with a Wake Forest offense, you know is going to score in the 40s. I just kept telling my dad that. He kept making jokes about the over, and I said, they're going to score 40. This this team is going to score 40. And did by your God, dad, they did. Did your dad not think they would score 40? Well, he was talking about it at the point when they when it was at about this point in the game, and he was taking into account Vanderbilt's points as well. He's talking about the over in the game. Oh, gotcha. And, gotcha. and, and then Swan, of course, helped that at the end. But I was like, yep. Wake Forest is going to score at least 40 points points they will without a doubt do that 
So you but, give up now points that the defense has given up zero points to a team that is averaging fit. What? 52 points last year, a game, the defense has given up zero and you're somehow down seven to three. That's demoralizing. I mean, I, that, that is the point in the game when all my hope of anything special happening here went out the window and it felt like everybody else had the same uh, conclusion that they drew. Yeah. I mean, it was a similar feeling to the Titans on Sunday. I mean, Mm -hmm. after that missed kick, I mean, it was very, very similar. So brutal weekend for uh, Vandy and Titans fans this weekend, but will back to Vandy, you said it, the momentum was gone, gone, disappeared. It was totally hundred percent gone. And it felt like, well, with that type of momentum, I, I, I knew I was like, here's a challenge. Here's a challenge for Vandy. Can they take this momentum? Can they take it and do something with it? They were not able to, and that it, it killed them. It killed them. And uh, first quarter continues. Will. I want to just stop there for and point out one thing that, that that on the Wake Forest side they ran the wildcat on third and fourth down when Vanderbilt was able to stop. They them. had like three blockers. That is there. that needs to be pointed out how much of a travesty that is from Dave Clawson and staff. How do you take the ball out of Sam Hartman's hands not once but twice and just all run your running back straight up the middle? That is awful. Continue on. Yeah. <laughs> Will even complaining for Wake Forest fans out here. I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Will, uh, the defense, Wake Forest defense, by the way, was better than I expected. I mean, I- I'll come out here and admit it. I know Vanderbilt was able to run on them a little bit. Um, but I mean, they had, they had some, their safety, Mustafa, number three, was one of the faster. I mean, he was flying all over the field. They had some, they weren't huge up front, but they had bigger guys. Like they were just better than I expected. Um, and they forced Mike Wright to throw the football, and Mike didn't respond well. And I mean, he also didn't have a lick of time. I get that. But at the same time, when he did have maybe two seconds instead of one second, he's running out of the pocket no matter what. I mean, so, and I know you want to get on that a little bit later. (laughs) But 70-yard touchdown, it might have been even more than 70. Sam Hartman to A.T. Perry on their classic slow mesh play. I mean, Beautiful throw from Hartman. B.J. Anderson in coverage had no chance. Um, second turnover. And then, so that play, though, Will, I want to hit on that. I want to hit on that play because I was went, up, went back and watched the game. A.T. Perry made one quick move and then got right in front of B.J. Anderson, had him on his back. At that point, that's a touchdown. I mean, th- there's nothing you can stop that. I know I know Vanderbilt, there, there's, a, there's an argument for Lucian to be in the game. I, I that that's that's out there and I'm going to get to that a little bit later but I mean that's your classic that's what we've seen on film from Wake Forest all season last year you saw it a little bit against VMI you know I'm not saying Vanderbilt wasn't ready for it but you know you you that's what happens you know that's what happened and that I mean Vanderbilt it's just, just players it's just the the AT Perry was faster He's than BJ Anderson I yeah I don't like I, it, a lot of times I think football is a very complicated game and there's so many things schematically that you can do. But A.T. Perry, in a game that has 50, 60 offensive plays, is just going to be running wide open if you match him up on anyone really on Vanderbilt's roster. If you give him that many plays, mm-hmm. he's going to be running wide open three, yeah. four, or five times. Yeah. And if the quarterback in Hartman's able to find him, and he was – then there's really nothing schematically that I like. I kept watching, wanting something to jump off the screen 
that Vanderbilt was doing incorrectly. And they're just, you're just playing a really good offense. Yeah, that just has just, some plays that are just damn good. Yeah. You're just getting beat. I mean, you're just, that's what Wake Forest did all year and uh, they're, they've got a damn good offense. So credit to them. Uh, but then will Mike Wright has the second turnover of the quarter on the fumble. Um, yeah. Ball was probably wet field, maybe a little slick. Um, but this one is, a, is more inexcusable than the pick for me because you know, I don't know that he was ready for that hit behind him. I mean, the, the awareness needs to improve there. So second turnover of the quarter leads to more Wake Forest points. They score easily off that turnover, Will. Uh, so, I mean, that, that you're just giving them – you're gift-wrapping Wake Forest points at this, point, that's, at this point. And that's the one thing we said couldn't happen, and it happened. Um, and that's what Clark Lee, you know, after the game in the post game was pissed about. And in Commodore Hour tonight, he talked about it also, like – you can't do that against Wake Forest, and they're they're gonna they're gonna kill you, and that's what they did. So um, Vanderbilt also will an offense. They started over five on third downs. I mean, they they passing game when they had to throw was not there. It just wasn't there um, until Swan came in late in the game. So uh, we will talk about that. Will now I go to second quarter about midway through the second quarter. I think this was great punt by Matt Hayball, fumble recovery by Cooper Lutz, and all of a sudden. Vanderbilt squeaks back into this game somehow. And, you know, I, I had a feeling something was going to happen late in this first half to not that was pretty early. Game. Actually, that was like at the 12 minute mark or so. 13 okay, minute mark. That was right after. Quarter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so early in the second quarter, but I thought something was going to happen in that first half still, even after Vanderbilt had two turnovers that might swing towards Vanderbilt, not give them a mo- the momentum back, but swing back towards them. Um, it looked like a terrifying punt to try to catch. I mean, that was a, it wasn't, it wasn't a high bombing one, but it was low. And it, that, that I felt bad for the, the punt returner there, uh, fumbles everywhere in this game. I mean, wet ball, especially at this point, third fumble of the game from either team. So it, it played a role, played a role. Will, uh, Ray Davis ran hard all night. I mean, he, this, after this, uh, this recovery from Lutz, Ray Davis had a couple of runs and boom, all of a sudden, you know, you're inside the five yard line. So, I mean, at that point, Ray Davis, it's the Ray Davis show. And then the Wildcat, the Wildcat formation for Ray Davis. I loved that call. Loved that call. You send Mike right outside. Great block by Gavin Schoenwald on the outside as well. And Ray Davis just plowed in. I think that, you know, it's tough to tackle Ray Davis one-on-one. I mean, I love just snapping it to Ray, say, go run, go score us a two-yard touchdown. And he did. So I love that call, Will. Uh, Last 10 minutes of the first half, were some pretty damn fun football to watch. I mean, that game got pretty weird. Uh, but I thought in Vanderbilt's direction, you know, that could have been that could have been a lot closer first half. I mean, Vanderbilt, y- you think about it, without those turnovers, you know, maybe it's 14-10. Maybe it's maybe Vanderbilt gets another field goal or another touchdown with that, you know, the way things go. But those turnovers just murdered everything they had, Will. So uh, rain really starts to come down. And now I go, Will, to the Kalen Carson hit on Mike Wright. He absolutely annihilated him. I mean, it, while he was in bounds, Mike Wright was, was or no, never mind. While he was out of bounds, that's the key. I meant to write down out of bounds. While he was out of bounds, my, the, the thing about that, Hartman was still in bounds. That's the difference about this call, about this play. There, one guy's in bounds, one guy's out of bounds. And uh, Carson got up and started celebrating. Ashmore and Uzebo looked like they wanted to kill him after that. I mean, <laughs> Uzebo started chasing after him. And this is where it got very interesting, Will. This Clark was pissed after that. So was every Vanderbilt fan in the stadium. 
maybe the worst no call I've ever seen in a game. I mean, that it was blatant. <laughs> you look up the definition of target of late hit targeting, suspension, whatever. That's it. I mean, literally, that is it. I, I don't know that you can paint a better picture than targeting after that. And he acted like nothing. I mean, he acted like it was a normal football hit. It, it reminded me of Arkansas during the James Franklin years. You remember when that, that dirty yeah. hit on, on Krause? That's mm-hmm. what it reminded oh, me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, it, it was just so blatant, Will. I, I don't even – maybe the worst call I've ever seen. And the thing about it, think about it, though, that hit lit a fire under that team that I hadn't seen in a while. I mean, you didn't see it a whole lot last year. You saw it a little bit, but it lit a fire under Clark, those players, that stadium. And that's the difference between last year and this year. I mean, they, they took that personally. They said, we're not, we're not bowing down to, to Wake Forest. We're not. And it's not like they're facing some, you know, long, lanky quarterback that can't run. Sam Hartman's a big dude, and he will lower his shoulder, and he did, Will. So, man, a lot to get to in this, but I know, uh, I know you thought that was a good call. Clean hit. Yeah, clean hit. Actually, in my personal opinion, neither – one more penalties. Uh, that's where I think I differ from most people. I was 100% not a penalty on the dude that hit Mike Wright. In no way was it a penalty. And it was in no way a penalty in the one that hit Sam Hartman. If the per- it, look, I'll, it is I'll the disagree. spirit I'll, of the I'll rule. Disagree with the it is the playing. spirit of the rule. Okay. Quarterback, in my opinion, should get no special treatment once they leave the pocket as a runner, especially in college football, because so many quarterbacks run. The only thing that could have even been considered out of bounds for either of these guys is the front half of their feet. If you have ever played one snap of live football in your entire life, when you are running with a helmet, you cannot tell the difference between someone with half of their feet out of bounds and not. Were either hit completely necessary, especially the Wake Forest one? No. But was the hit a penalty? Did he lead with his helmet? Did he make helmet-to-helmet contact? No, I watched it over and over. So that is my issue, is not that the penalty was thrown and both were penalties. My issue was choose a side. I'm fine with it being called either way. If you're going to call it where you don't allow those late, tiny, ticky-tack, unnecessary hard hits close to the sideline, which both were, or they were both right on the edge, you have to do it all game on both sides you have to be very ticky tack and edgy like they started out the game or not and that the crazy part is both were in front of both sidelines it wasn't like the mike wright hit happened in front of the wake forest sideline because i it was i was in shock watching because it was like okay he's gonna throw the flag there's no way because you just had the stadium erupt in anger that they had called the penalty against hartman this is where i have the problem is that stadium was booing and erupted on the Hartman head because it wasn't a penalty. And yes, he was in bounds and it was a little bit later, but neither of those were penalties. And, and so that's why the stadium was so angry and why I got so furious. I don't really get furious at referees that are officiating or refereeing the game differently than how I view it should be, especially in, in whatever sport it is. But if you're going to be very ticky-tack, withholding penalties for example or very ticky tack on pis you have to do that from quarter one to quarter four and that is what infuriates fans more than anything if people can't put a word on it that's what it is and especially when it seems like over and over and over and over again vanderbilt is on the side that is the non-beneficiary 
that's the crazy part to me is it's just, I know that fans are skewed and the perspective is skewed on being screwed over, but it's comical at this point. Vanderbilt just doesn't get the same calls, whether it's this hit, whether it's the pass interference that was called on Lucian later in the game that was clearly offensive pass interference. Both of those calls were game-changing calls and momentum. And that's the issue that I have with how people are going to take this game is, yes, they got beaten. They got beaten by 20 points on the final scoreboard. It was probably a little bit worse than that. But there were three to four key calls slash non-calls in this game that if they just go your direction that the entire game changes and the entire feeling going into the NIU game changes. So my issue with that is how bad and inconsistent this refereeing crew was that almost made it hard to evaluate this game because it just had no flow. You just could not tell when things were going to be called and when they weren't the entire game on every single level. Yeah, I, I thought the hit on Mike should have been a penalty because they called the one on Hartman a penalty. Exactly. I mean, that, if you, that was the most, I mean, it was just mind boggling. The fact that you see a Wusu not lead with his helmet, basically just tackle him while he's in bounds. And you've got Kaysen over here, who I thought did lead with his helmet. And I, mean, I thought there, when you do lead with your helmet, that's a penalty. But the fact that it wasn't called after what you saw on Hartman, that's the main reason it should have been a penalty. You need to call this thing both ways, and they obviously weren't. So, I mean, that just just crazy kind of seeing that unfold. Uh, the fans in the stadium, they were – every fan, I thought, was booing. <laughs> every fan at Vanderbilt yeah. – I was a fan of Vanderbilt – was booing – but I look at what happened the next defensive possession for Vanderbilt. Max Worship, well, first before Max Worship did anything, Clark Lee gathered the entire team around and basically I'm, it seemed like he said, go kill Sam Hartman because that's what they tried to do. <laughs> Literally, that, I mean, Max Worship lowered the boom on Hartman. He stood over him. He had three Vandy defenders standing over him. And this defense, they just, they can be scary when they're pissed off and they need to play like that every game um when there's one reason why well it's clark lee they they play the way the way he coaches and the way he also played college football the way he's coached at notre dame and that's that's the reason why he huddled the entire team together after that and i was like but watch out i told my brother watch out because hartman might uh he, he's got it he's got it coming uh and then hartman gets popped by kane patterson on the sideline and it looked like vandy's entire team was in his ear after that the stadium got fired up. I mean, Hartman was roughed up in this game. I mean, he he definitely needed an ice bath. And if I'm Dave Clawson, Will, I'm telling Hartman after this game, dude, get out of bounds. Like, get, get out. We need. We kind of need you this year. Like, you're. This is an SEC defense you're playing against. Just get out of bounds. I mean, that that was. They were laying the wood on them. I mean, there, yeah, there were a few, man, there were a few of those sets that I know Wake Forest fans, especially in the timing of the game and in the weather with him coming back from that nervous. injury, that they had to be like, how, why, why are yeah. you doing this? Yeah. But you're not really going to take it out of them. I, no. It reminded me a lot of Josh Allen uh, on those Thursday, on that, I think it was the Thursday night football game mm -hmm. that you could just see the announcers continuously saying, Please, why is he not sliding? I know the coaching <laughs> staff, and he was just smiling at the camera. Yeah. So that's what it kind of seemed like. He knew that they were going to be trying to get a big hit on him, and for some reason he decided to allow them to. But the defense actually stepping up, and, you know, they gave up 14 points to that offense in the first half. 14 points. I know that's not what it read on the scoreboard, but that's what they really gave up, even with mm -hmm. multiple turnovers. 
uh, from the from the offense that only one resulted in a direct touchdown. But man, that's impressive. The defense, yeah. like you said in the first quarter, there were some issues, there were some errors. The weather helped and everything. Hartman being a little off helped. But 14 points, that's just nothing to scoff at from mm-hmm. the defense actually giving up in that first half. Yeah, and so first half will overall, you know, wasn't the best feeling uh, for Vanderbilt fans at that point, uh, but you did feel like, okay, you know, it's 21-10. We probably escaped a t- another touchdown or two. It could have been a lot worse than that. Um, but, yeah, first half, that's the most of what I have on it, Will. Uh, second half thoughts, A.J. Swan looked great. <laughs> I mean, third quarter, of course, Wake Forest did what they do. Uh, Mike Wright and the offense still could not get really anything going. Ray Davis still ran hard. Uh, but A.J. Swan, I know you have more to get to in that third quarter, Will, but 8 for 11, 146 yards and two touchdowns. I think Mike Wright had 36 passing yards or something like that. So, I mean, that that's – I even though it is likely against Wake Forest's second teamers and, you know, they're not bringing as much pressure most likely, I mean, they that's pretty noteworthy. I mean that 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 it that is pretty noteworthy to me. So, so yeah. Well, that's that's really all I got in the first half. Um, I know you've got some third quarter third quarter thoughts. It's pretty much all uh, all AJ Swan there. Yeah, the the first one that I've got to get to in this second half and in the third quarter is on the first Wake Forest drive, which is going to be the worst call actually of the entire game. The most absolutely Offensive, indefensible yeah. call of the game was Jeremy Lucian actually having really good coverage on the outside. And it was the Wake Forest receiver literally just grabbed Lucian by the jersey and threw him forward and then caught the ball. And not only did – it wasn't like they just didn't throw anything. They called pass interference on Jeremy Lucian, who made zero contact and was in perfect position. So that's another reason that I I started watching him was that's going to be viewed as something of, of him getting a catch on him. But really, it was not. It, he no. was in the right position, and it would have been a pass breakup, pass defense, and he, and he just got screwed over yeah, in we, that situation. Had... And the announcers, that at that point, they were at a complete loss for words. They, they literally watched it trying to justify it because they both said at the same time, I'm not sure if they're going to get offensive p- pass interference or offensive holding on this play, on the receiver, on the outside, because you see there he clearly throws Lucian forward by grabbing a handful of jersey. And then the uh, referee came up and called defensive pass interference, and both of them just kind of were silent for a second because they were just so unexpected to what was going to happen. Even the receiver wasn't smiling after the play. He just kind of walked back towards the original line of scrimmage, fully expecting offensive pass interference to be called. So that's actually the one that got me in the stadium the most, and and my section as well, which – once again, uh, not due to me, I just want to say, but but I'm in the section of bad boys in Vanderbilt Stadium. We have a lot more ushers and police officers around us, and I think the police have been in my section probably like 80% of the games the last like four or five years, <laughs> and only like one of the times was due to my comments. So like that's the part of Section J is a hardcore uh, section if you want to come check it out the bad boys club over there that, but at that point is when does that stand for does that stand for welcome to the jungle <laughs> welcome to the jungle baby section j that's what i'm we're gonna start we gotta get this going this was the first time i felt some kinship truly like the people directly around me i've always like you know you talk to at the games and everything this was the first time the section in general that all the dudes that were there it's like 15 guys that are probably you know <laughs> a little inebriated for the game typically including me 
Uh, and there was a guy right at the front. He was giving him hell. I mean, I didn't even, I yeah. felt like I needed so, to yell less there was, because I saw that in the stadium. Yeah, there so was Vanderbilt, a guy, I was indeed, man, there was a guy you got, the, you got the few fans that were there. You yeah, got there, us going, I'll there was tell you a guy, that. There was an older guy in D behind uh, where I was sitting and he was letting them have it. I mm-hmm. mean, he was screaming at the top of his lungs. You can probably tell my voice is still a little lost. Well, I had to really hold it back because I had like a really cute three-year-old little girl like sitting <laughs> diagonally to my right with like her face painted as like a butter fly and like eating cotton candy and my dad was like you cannot you cannot <laughs> yell any curse words I was like yeah i'm gonna be yelling like that call was crap and, and then <laughs> thankfully she left uh at, at halftime with her dad so i got but to will, yell there, all i there, wanted at the jeremy lucian call so that's probably why it really stuck out in my mind i got to let him have it after those, that. those calls though those are calls in sec stadiums there's probably some trash thrown on the field i'm not even kidding Look, yeah like I, and, I at that point that's what i'm getting it's a 21 to 10 game it, it, like, at it, that point that's that that's how call bad is were. game like, changing but i think the difference is you're at vanderbilt i think referees know that Mm. They know that they understand that they're like, I can make this call without maybe getting a concussion from a beer bottle being thrown at me. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a conscious thing, (laughs) but you definitely feel the less hostile environment. And I at a point stood up in, in there and I think it was third or fourth down on the, on the goal line stand. I think it was fourth down on the goal line stand. Everyone around me was just sitting down clapping. And I kind of, you know, went a little ballistic, I would say. You can imagine my rants are pretty good on Saturday if you get, if this is two days <laughs> Even uh, afterwards of getting to cool down. So, but yeah, Vanderbilt fans, uh, piss poor performance. I will say it was just, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There were a couple moments it got decently loud, but uh, students, thought, thought... shitty job, fans, shitty job. It I'll was say student. I'll say students. It was embarrassing know, the student, on the camera shot. The I've got to be honest. I watched bad, that broadcast. It was worse than I ever could have imagined. Yeah, it was. It, sometimes in the stadium, you don't realize it because you know mm-hmm. where you're sitting and where you're looking behind you. But, um, but yeah. Well, I mean, they. they I came they, away positive. Actually, is why it kind of hurt because I was like, you know, it got loud for a second, and then I saw what I thought was the moments that it was, at you know, more full. And it did have a few more people. I get the weather. The kickoff is bad. But come on, guys. That was a top 25 team. And nobody listening to this podcast is probably the problem. So I'm like preaching to the choir right now. But I just have to get it off my chest. That was was pitiful. Yeah. You know, I think, Will, they need – like, they need a win. You know, they – they haven't had that win yet, I think, to change the minds of the other 30, 40%, maybe, like 30, more like 30% of Vanderbilt fans. Like, I think about – well, maybe not quite 30%, but, like, what percent of Vanderbilt fans – I know we're getting a little off track here, but, you know, we've got a little bit more to hit on in the second half, but what percent of Vanderbilt fans are bought into Clark Lee? I think bought into Clark Lee and invested to the point of showing up to games are two different things. I think it's a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice – you know, shame. Can't, okay. Let me, let me read again, but me that's rephrase. what I'm getting. That's what I, what I'm getting to is I think that it, it Vanderbilt fans outside of like the ones that are there week in week out are so at a prove it phase that is so far beyond winning two games or having one season uh, where you win six games, you are going to have to build up long-term hype to the point that you've had strung together at least a season and then a few games of success and then you have the big environment and you win and then you have another big game and you win that one too 
So like, that's what Derek Mason almost did. He was so yeah. damn close to yeah. really getting this place going. And he got it, you know, he ran into the Alabama buzzsaw after that mm-hmm. Kansas state win, but you build up the hype. You had a good season. You build up the hype again by beating, the, beating the easier teams. You have a very similar situation uh, with this Wake Forest team. You win that game in exciting fashion. Then you have the make or break game. Then you have the one you don't have to win it, but you have excitement built up around your program. So I think as much as I'm crapping on Vanderbilt fans, I get it. Right. I mean, uh, you, yeah. you've been fooled, especially, I mean, we're, you know, 24, 25, but if you've been watching this for go back even further, it's going to be hard to buy into anything. Right. I mean, you just continuously or like every single time you buy in it's fool's gold. It's an illusion. It's not real. You, you're going to get the rug pulled out from under you. Even when it is real, it's James Franklin and he's gone to Penn state and leaves a rape scandal in his wake and recruiting violations everywhere and takes your whole roster. So it's any time I can see why Van and it's the Darius Garland injury. It's everything but Tim Corbin. And so that's that's where I'm going to get my vent out about, you know, Vanderbilt Vans not showing up because of course me and Jacob Scholl and a few other people are out there at six AM eating breakfast burritos in the rain. So Right. Yeah. But I uh, get it. And I, I totally I get, get it. it too. And you know, it, they need not only just like I've heard people say they need a big win. They need no, they they need a string. Like you said, Will, like if say they were able to somehow beat Wake Forest, okay, you've got momentum and then you go on. But if you lose to NIU, boom, it goes straight back down. Like it, it's not only, even if they were to get a 4-0 start, you've got Bama, Georgia, Ole Miss. Now you're Well, I'll never forget going like, into the, the Bama game that we said, you don't have to win this. You have to just not get completely embarrassed. And they got completely and, embarrassed. So that's like all you had to do was lose by like we'd been we would have been okay with losing by thirty. Yeah, I think in that yeah. Alabama game, the expectations were pretty reasonable, and they didn't reach them. So that's a that's another just notch that I think subconsciously, even if you're not actually keeping track, you, it just breaks you down just right. a little bit more and more and more to where you don't trust any type of excitement that you feel building up. And you felt that in the stadium. You felt that the, the fans, even if the sideline believed, no one in that stadium believed that they were going to be Wake Forest at any point. When they got the goal line stand, it got loud. People were excited, but I felt it. Everyone felt it. No one thought they were going to win that game. And right. that's the part that right that's now you are still marketing. They're trying to do a marketing campaign to fans as casual fans. That's going to come after – you win four at, at least four or five games or go to a bowl game. That's when you can start the damn button sewing patches booth over there, which is a good idea, but it's not right now. Not right now. You don't have casuals showing up to these games. Target your campaigns and your game day experience to hardcore die hard fans because that is the only people at the game. And maybe Vanderbilt. Instead of having button patch sewing booths, work on having your fucking bathrooms work in an SEC football game. That is embarrassing that the bathrooms were flooded. Absolutely embarrassing. Wait, are you, ta- are you talking about against Wake Forest? Yes. In what, near, what next bathroom? to my section, the bathrooms were flooded uh, next to that concession stand. The uh, grab-and-go right at the front gate. I think it's gate, what is it, gate three? Oh, my gosh. The front front wow. gate, yeah, the bathrooms were, were shut down, so I got to use the family bathroom. There you go. Uh, when I there take a pee. Good thing there weren't too many people left 
uh, in yeah. the beginning of the third. Good thing there was so. a way there was a wave of people that left um, at halftime. Well, you know, at this point, I haven't had a good rant in a while. I had to go on. Yeah, that was. I mean, it's been a while. It's been time. a while for that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, do you have anything else on the uh, in the second half? Um, I know AJ Swan, of course. I mean, the kid went eight for eleven for one hundred forty six yards, two touchdowns. Now, here's what I'll say about the quarterback situation at this point: AJ Swan is a better quarterback than Mike Wright. I think we all know that. We we know that. But in this offense, do you really want AJ Swan out there running for his life when he's you know, he he does not have the speed of Mike Wright. That's what I that's what I will say. Now I, I still believe AJ Swan is going to start a game down the stretch of this season. <laughs> I still I still believe that. But against Bama, Georgia, and Ole Miss, I just I don't think it's the best idea. Now, that could cause an, a Mike Wright injury down the road, and then you have to throw Mike AJ Swan in. But at this point, I mean I'm at the position of where the four years with AJ Swan are so valuable that you don't want him to have some sort of concussion mind bending injury where he might be out for a year, even longer. And then he, you have him a, a, a step back, you know, you take him a year off pretty much. Yeah. Maybe you'd redshirt him if it is in the first four games, but, or four games in general, but you know, obviously we know he's better, you know, but, but what, what would it look like for AJ Swan out there, a whole game behind that offensive line? I don't think we know that. Now, yeah, he went out there in the second half and and played well. He did play well, and I like I said, I I I am in the AJ Swan camp. Like I obviously he is he's the quarterback of the future. But at this moment, at this this current moment, I just I don't know if if he's the guy to start. You know, especially when you've got Bama, Georgia, Ole Miss, you've got a winnable game against Northern Illinois on the road, which I think Mike Wright will have a lot of success running the football. Now down the stretch. Maybe you start him against a Florida. Maybe you start him against a South Carolina where, hey, maybe you need to throw the ball. Obviously, they're going to need to throw the ball to win. Maybe you give it a shot. But right now, at this point in the season, I don't think, but that I, I don't think he's the guy. But at at you know, down the stretch of the season, final two, maybe three games, I think you will see AJ Swan start a game this season. I don't know which game. I don't know which game, but I think it will be at least one game this year down the stretch of the season. So I'm still up in the air. I need to think about this a little bit longer. I need to I need to let my thoughts still sink into my brain about what's going on with this quarterback situation. But at this point in the season, I just don't I'm not I'm not ready to say start AJ. You know, start AJ, AJ's the starter. Um, but Will, he looked damn good. He he looked the throw to Shepard was beautiful. He made a couple other throws where it was like, damn. I mean, that that he's gonna be special. The kid, the kid's gonna be special. I just want to keep him healthy. You know, there are. Oh, yeah. Continue. Just, really, sorry, I don't want the guy to get killed out there. Now he is playing in the SEC. It's gonna happen. You know, he's gonna get hit hard. You saw what Hartman was taking. You know, God knows he's gonna take that against Bama and Georgia if he does play. But at the same time, so is Mike Wright. So I, that's why I'm still. I need more time. <laughs> so this is this is so interesting. This decision that now has to be made. By Clark Lee. He's in a tough I think spot. He has, I think he has a huge decision because there's a whole other thing and layer to this and factor that I think we're not really thinking about, which is A.J. Swan's red shirt. 
Uh, and he's allowed to play in four games and still maintain that red shirt. And I think the moment that he was placed on that depth chart as the second string quarterback, I don't think Clarkley had in his mind to use that red shirt. The only real decision that this staff and Clarkley can make that will make me very angry is if we see A.J. Swan in the same meaningless mop-up time role throughout the season. He comes in a couple times in one game when Mike Wright's helmet falls off. Now he's played in three games. <clears throat> he comes in, plays in mop-up time in one other game. He's now played four. And then he starts a late-season game when you're sitting right. at two and eight or three and seven, and you burn his red shirt for a, for a no reason on a wasted season. And that will infuriate me. And that is going to be the thing I don't want to happen. So I think they really need to ask, what is the, what is the purpose of this season? Is right. this season to build for the future with talent and just be like, okay, whatever. Is it going to make a difference in the win column this season? If we put Mike right out there versus AJ Swan, uh, that's a tough question. I, I still don't and, know the answer to that. Like, I, And I, the I uh, other factor of this is if you wanted – to have a different backup quarterback, let's say that Mike Wright gets hurt in game nine or game 10, I'd be fine with sending Ken Seals out there as the starting quarterback. You won't find a more experienced third-string quarterback in the country that Brady. is more proven. A dude that started a nine-game SEC schedule then started the last half of last season. He started at Texas A&M and only lost 17-12 to 12 as a true freshman. So that's another factor in this. Is this season a just get-through-it season? get another group of guys with a different level of talent, like what we see out of McGowan and Swan. And you saw it on the first drive on just a quick little swing pass out to McGowan. And he took it up the sideline, almost took it up for six. That is only going to get more dynamic. And that connection between Swan and McGowan, you saw a glimpse into the future. You saw a glimpse into a combo. That is a real that for the first time in a really long time, since, that is a real SEC combo. I, would I think argue since will, Jordan Matthews, I, you know, I would go uh, further Jordan back. Rogers. I would go further back. I'm going to go since Cutler to Bennett. Uh, I'm I'm going to go there because they're freshmen. You know, these guys. That's you, true. You yeah. saw you saw the screen pass, and that's like instant. It's like he knows where he's going to be, and boom, he gets it. Swan is just smooth. I mean, he he looks he doesn't look even the balls he doesn't complete are just gorgeous. His throwing (laughs) motion when you see that ball come out of his hand, in my opinion, and this is this is tough because we both like Mike Wright. Right, like that's the right. problem. Is Mike Wright's and, the leader of the team, the leader and that's, of a t- the team. That, that's the tough part. Yeah, but there's no way Mike Wright's the starter next year. I mean, that's the problem that I think we are facing right now. Is Mike Wright's the leader of the team? He's going to be back next year. But absolutely no way A.J. Swan is the backup quarterback next season. That would be crazy to me after watching him in spring ball and then watching him in his little bit of game. You've seen him. He's just so head and shoulders above and pocket awareness. Right. That's the big point that I wanted to get to is his pocket awareness is just light years ahead of Mike right. Wright. And being right. able to see down the field when you get a tiny little bit of pressure. The offensive line, the pocket breaks down, but it's not like he had free runners at him all night or really had that pocket fully collapsed. He had plenty of room on almost every single time that he faced pressure. He had plenty of room to step up in that pocket and deliver the exact same pass that A.J. Swan delivered in the second half of that game. And I think that's the main issue going back and rewatching. There wasn't a lot of difference. The only difference was instead of tucking the ball and running and running out of bounds or sliding for a two or three yard gain up the middle of that line, it was a completion. 
And then the difference was in AJ Swans was the pass to the backup running back was a 30 something yard gain. I can't remember the name slipping my mind when he was in the game and he threw it up the sideline on the wheel route. And then he had the 84 yard or yeah. to Justin ball, Justin ball, he had the other yeah. seam route that was perfectly on the money. And the difference between AJ Swan and Mike Wright are those passes versus on that first scoring drive for Vanderbilt when he threw the ball to Ramon Davis. He completed the pass to Ramon Davis, and Davis had to jump up and toe-tap to catch it. But if he throws that perfectly over his shoulder, I get he is he's avoiding the safety help inside, but there was enough room to throw that ball over his shoulder on a rope like Swan did. And I know that he didn't have the safety help coming over top, so I'm not saying it was a completely wrong decision to do that, or and I don't even know if he intended to throw it how he did. But Ramon would have been one-on-one with a defensive back between him and the end zone right? if he throws that ball where it needs to be. And that was just one example of so many times, even on the completions, the ball placement on a curl route just allows the receiver to catch it and fall down. And when Swan was in the game, it was allowing the receiver to catch the ball and turn up the field where it was in a more natural placement. So like you said, the margin of error for Vanderbilt so small and it's the take we had with Ken Seals and Mike Wright last year, I think. And I don't know if you're going to get to this, but it was that Ken Seals will allow you to have an opportunity to beat better teams and perform at a higher level. Your ceiling is higher. And that's how it is with AJ Swan. Your floor with AJ Swan is tremendously lower than it is with Mike Wright. I think even more so uh, than when we were evaluating last year with the inexperience, especially with McGowan seeming to be needing to be pointed uh, where he needed to go within that offense. Right. So I don't know how you stand on it. It seems like you were in the Mike Wright camp. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty much just on the on the rotation. Uh, not this was one of my takes, but not a full rotation. But I mean, are you in the point, are you in the two quarterback camp? We, I, I, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna don't, save because it's me. a little more complicated. It's a little more complicated than that. So I need to uh, let you let you get some thoughts out before I get into that because it's not that simple. <laughs> Big brain offensive gal. There's a reason. There's a reason behind. Well, I'll I'll say this. You know, one more thing on Swan. All th- this is all about getting Swan ready and prepared for the future. Th- th- this is what this is about. This is not about, you know, this is not about, you know, Mike Wright's development. I I love the guy. I I, I really do. But at this point, getting getting AJ Swan prepared for the four years of most likely success and hope that, that he will provide to this fan base is more important than anything else. So I know, no, I don't think they're going to burn his red shirt this year, Will, but I don't think that doesn't mean he will still play meaningful snaps this season. Like I, th- I, I just have a feeling there's a game down the stretch of this season where Swan might be thrown in there to start. You know, I may be wrong about that, but Will, I also did get to thinking I got to thinking about the two quarterback system and yes, I I know that's probably not what most Vanderbilt fans want, but it might be the situation where this program is right now. What do they need to, to, to go beat a Missouri to go beat a South Carolina potentially? Can you beat Missouri playing Mike Wright, not able to sit back there and throw the football? I, I don't think you can. So that points now to me saying, who can? Do you have a guy in the roster that can? Yes, you do. That's AJ Swan. Hint, hint. Maybe you do that. Now, I, you know, I don't know what they'll do. Will maybe they can go out and beat Missouri. Missouri got clobbered 
by K State. I think that Missouri is closer to Vanderbilt's level than we think. I think Missouri's worse. I yeah, think I well, watched that game. Vanderbilt right, I, is the thirteenth team in the SEC this year, and I'm saying that with my chest out after watching Missouri play multiple they were, times. They, they were bad. not good. They were bad. They gave up almost. They gave up almost thirty points to Louisiana Tech. Uh, you know they're they're right. Vanderbilt, Missouri are they're right there, and, and Vanderbilt's got them at home. They get, do they have them at home? Will uh, actually no. Do they? Mm-hmm. Yep, I think so. I feel like an idiot right now. Um, but I don't know. Even if they do, that's even more important. So, Will, I, you know, I'm just not ready. I don't know. I don't know. I don't envy Clark Lee right now making this decision. This is a tough call. And, you know, it's year two. I talked about a lot of things last year, how, you know, this season doesn't matter. And, you know, maybe it didn't about what happened. I still thought down the stretch that did create momentum for what they did down the stretch of last year. But I do feel like they're at the quarterback position. They're in a similar boat. Again, I know AJ Swan's better than Ken Seals and he was better than he's better than him at this point last year than, than Swan than Seals was, but it's just, man, it's tough. It's tough right now. um, But I still think, I just still think I'm a Mike Wright guy right now. I think he's the starter. He's still the starter, but Clark Lee said it. He's got to earn it. And if A.J. Swan has done enough right now to play more football, so be it. He, you know, I mean, but I don't know. I'm just, if I was Clark Lee, I uh, I would not. Uh, that's why we're not coaches, Will. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, I, I mean, if I was Clark Lee, I think that what you were saying with the two QBs, I think that gets taken when you say that and people immediately think QB rotation. And by no means is that what I'm calling for. I, what I would want right now, if I could write my ideal situation up on a chalkboard, would be without a doubt, AJ Swan is the starting quarterback. I mean, seeing how he navigated that pocket, I know the coaches can see it. And the decision is not, cannot be fully based on, on the field. There are more dynamics at work here that Mike Wright's the leader of the team. And that has other ripple effects for what one season, maybe one more win, one more SEC win. So that's another factor here. Is, is it worth what it is going to do to the, kind of the dynamic of this team uh, with its clear hierarchy? But what he did stepping up in the pocket, I just keep going back to that and the ball placement. It is going to at some point, if you choose to put A.J. Swan, we, Vanderbilt without a doubt is going to upset somebody this season because he is going to have a game, one of those freshman games where he doesn't know better to not do it. And it's going to work out. You see it all the time. And he's that level of talent. Will Shepard has that ability. He had one play that he literally broke one of the Wake Forest players on that wet field. And he was down with an injury. And Swan hit him and, uh, when he drove the ball down to inside the 10-yard the line on, I believe, it was the first drive that Swan was in the game. I could be wrong. But Swan just opens up the offense. And the interesting part of going back is seeing what Wake Forest was doing, defending the read option because it felt like there were a lot of runs up the middle. And, and I think that was a lot of comments from Vanderbilt fans was you got to get Mike right outside. Why are they not running Mike right outside? Well, those, those Mike right outside runs are not outside runs. The read option plays where right is reading that outside backer or defensive end, seeing if he crashes to the inside on the back and then pulling the ball away from the back and running the ball outside. Well, it was interesting because wake forest was not only stacking the box, and leaving and having the safeties play within 10 yards playing outside man coverage. They were never not one time crashing that outside backer. So they were just leaving him standing there, basically spying Mike Wright with no responsibility on the running back, 
which which is why Ramon Davis looked so good. It's why he was gashing up the middle is because they were basically like, we're just going to let Vanderbilt average five or six yards a carry and bet that our defensive line linebackers can stop him once or twice because Vanderbilt right now without Patrick Smith has no running backs that are going to gain or rush for more than 30 yards on a play. They just don't. Ramon Davis is not a home run hitter. Rocco Griffin's not a home run hitter. Uh, and number 46, Gillespie's not a home run hit. So you don't have anybody like a Keyshawn Vaughn that's going to take the ball distance. So teams are just going to crowd the box and bank that on two plays in a row, they can stop your run up the middle man for man and beat one block. And then you force Mike Wright into a throwing situation. They are just not going to allow Mike Wright on that read option to ever take the outside. And I think other teams are going to take note of that. And the, and the part that's scary is Wake Forest's defensive line is horrific. They are awful. And if Vanderbilt wasn't able to just bulldoze them playing like that, then when they play in the SEC, they're going to struggle, if Mike Wright is quarterback, to gain any yardage. Because teams are just going to play cover zero, press up on the outside, outside to contain QB spies on Mike Wright on both sides, and just say, run it up the gut, man for man, over and over, and you have to run it and beat us in that way. And Vanderbilt cannot do that. It is impossible. So it was interesting. Once A.J. Swan came in the game, it also affects the passing game because it, it changes with that backer crashing. It opens up all these other motions because everything in that offense is built that occasionally that backer is going to crash, not just for right or the quarterback to run, but also to throw the ball on these swing passes. That's why you saw Mike Wright get so many balls batted down because they were just worried not about the middle of the field. They were just like, we're not letting Mike Wright run. So in a weird way, having a less athletic quarterback and that outside backer actually crashing down occasionally for Wake Forest opened up the entire offense. And they also had to respect the ability of Swan to throw, which opened up that as well. So there were so many things that were just different that were more than just Oh, he's playing against the second string. How Wake Forest was able to defend this Vanderbilt offense was completely different. And Swan is not unathletic. He ran in the two-point score. He is athletic enough to run this offense with a little more throwing percentage-wise than running yeah, they currently are. That, so I, I'm more, the more I watched it, the more I'm on, you just have to throw the red shirt out the window, say you can't play from the perspective of he's going to get hurt and just get him experience because he's, he's what he is doing as a true freshman special. It's different than anything Vanderbilt's seen maybe ever. Yeah. You just talked about it. That would be my only question. You know, who wh is this offense, you know, is AJ Swan, you know, the guy to run the offense the way Joey Lynch designs it, you know, that, that, mm -hmm. that would be my only question. And if they have to shift it, then shift it for AJ Swan, you know, at this point, that that's where I'm at. You know, I, I don't, I don't know that I'm ready to say AJ Swan's the guy, but I'm also, you know, I, I need to see more. I need to see more of him against, uh, you know, a Georgia in the second half or, you know, uh, anybody really. I mean, if he plays against NIU, I mean, I don't know that he will because I think Mike Wright's the guy to win that game with his legs. I think, I think give the ball to Mike Wright, let him run. I think that's how you beat NIU. And we'll get to that later, Will. But um, we've got to get to our three main takeaways. Um, and, <laughs> We, I know we touched on them, you know, we probably said, you know, one of our takeaways, two of them maybe, you know, within the recap there, the quarter recap, but let's keep these takeaways short because we got to, we got to wrap this thing up. I know we said before 10 words or less in, in these uh, takeaways, it's going to be tough, but let's do it. 
My first one will number one, you cannot turn the ball over that that's that maybe, you know, maybe three, four years down the road, Vanderbilt gets to the point where they can afford some turnovers. They're not there right now. They're not there right now. And I wish we could talk more about these takeaways. I'm sure we did throughout this episode, but for me, will number one, at this point in the progression of this program, you cannot afford turnovers and two turnovers that early in a game if you want to win that game. So pretty obvious one, but you just can't turn the ball over. And the, especially the way they did, the, the way they did, they weren't spaced out. Those were bang, bang, two quick turnovers in the first quarter by Mike Wright and Wake Forest. It was where you turned the ball over also. You turned it over in your own territory both times and Wake Forest went back and scored easily both times. So not 10 words, Will, but don't turn the ball over. Yeah, my key takeaway one, I've hit on pretty much all mine at some point throughout this. So my key takeaway one will be your quarterback has to be able to throw. And I am willing to give up every single bit of, of addition to this offense that Mike Wright adds. The moment that I saw the ball, he, he threw in the corner of the end zone to Will Shepard, the decision was made in my mind. And there were multiple passes that were that way, but the decision is over. There, there were throws that he made. I don't care who you are that Mike Wright simply does not have the arm ability to make, much less if he sees the field that well or has the pocket presence. So your quarterback has to be able to see the field, hit guys when they are open. And when you are Vanderbilt, what their best quarterbacks have been the best at is the the offensive line allowing for step-up lanes and ways for the quarterback to get out of the pocket and avoid pressure because you're never just going to stonewall the opponent at Vanderbilt. But you can have an offensive line that does a good job of not just allowing the defensive line to collapse completely on the quarterback. They kind of did that against Wake Forest. There were a lot of things that I saw that Wright made one little move and made a guy miss, and then he just ran. His eyes never went down the field again, and Swan did that, stepped up and threw it. And it, and it just made it look so much simpler, and it made you go, what is going on here? And I think people are just trying to find a lot more excuses uh, than there really are because Swan was out there with the second string for the most part, too, um, in the running back position and out of their position. So I, I think people are just taking that too much into account. I think we saw what we saw. Yeah, my, uh, my second takeaway here, Will, we literally just talked about it. A.J. Swan's going to be special. I'm, I'm excited. I am excited about that kid, and you saw it. You saw it in the second half, what he can do, and that's against an ACC defense. You know, I don't care if, if they had their second team out there. I don't care who they had out there. A.J. Swan is going to be special. He showed me a lot, and I yes, I know it was in the second half, but he showed me things. He got that team to 25 points, and they did not. they were not able to do that in the entire first half, anything of what he showed. Um, so AJ Swan is going to be special will. And I, I think, I think with him and McGowan, it's with the receivers he has also McGowan in the future. You've got Davion Walker there. You've got a massive tight end in Cole Spence. You can see the weapons in that offense starting to form and, and start at the early stages of, of what this might look like and could look Quincy like. Skinner. And yeah, Quincy Skinner and even some of those young linemen with development. Man, it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting. It, it really is. It's early, early stages. But number two for me is A.J. Swan is going to be a special player, and uh, it might happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, number two for me, I don't need to go. This one won't take too long. Is Number two is this team is different 
and has progressed. And that is clear from this game. There were multiple, multiple times. And if you haven't watched every single Vanderbilt game for the last two years, then you won't get this. And I know you have, Billy, and probably anybody listening to this has. But there was a moment when they were down 21 to three that the last two seasons that they would have been down 35 to three, 42 to three. There were just times this defense made stops and allowed the score to be 21 to three that it would have been very easily to be very demoralized because the defense had actually played very well with a lot of energy and pretty much bottled up their run game completely, gotten some decent pressure on Swan. Not great, but decent. There were times they struggled and you're still staring at a scoreboard down 21 to three. Uh, and, and they did kind of let up to an extent, but I think that staring at the scoreboard, seeing you're down 21 to three and knowing you have made multiple great defensive stops to prevent your team from being down 35 to three, man, there were, they could have easily rolled over and they performed And that defense run defense, I think is going to be surprising to some people because bar and orgy and Mahoney and run support from the safety spot, Patterson, uh, worship coming up and run support seems to be more of his strength, even though he had a few missed tackles. He made some very, very good initial contact. So this run defense, I think, has potential to be pretty good. Now at the corner spots, that's where we saw some issues. But this team yeah. has improved from last year, definitive. My number three, Will, very similar to your number two. Mentally, this team is there. That they, They've got it. That they, they, they mentally... And the, the, the buy-in factor is 100% there. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything this season yet to te- that tells me, I don't know if they're bought in. I don't know if they're 100% bought in. This team, as young as they are, as, you know, as lack of depth as they might have, they're bought in. They, they, are, they are bought in mentally. This team is there. Now, physically, they are not. We know that. <laughs> they're, they're not. They're not as big. They're not as fast as most of their opponents, but they are bigger and faster than last year. And I know that's not hard to do, but they are. And that is a step. They are taking steps to to become a better program, to become that program. So for me, number three, Will, is mentally this team is there. They've got it. The motivation factor, you saw it. Like you said several times on the sideline, they're unified. You know, there's... Maybe they they got the stragglers out that that were there with Martin and Edwards as talented as they were. You're gonna have to do that, and they may do this after the season. I could be wrong with the hundred percent buy-in, but I don't think I am. I think they are there. So mentally, will they've got it? They've got that edge, but we all know the steps they need to make physically on the field. But mentally, they they've got it. They've got that edge. So that's my that's my third takeaway from this game. Yeah, my third takeaway if. If you have listened to this long enough and you were on the Mike Wright, it was not his fault at all in the first half train. This number three point is for you because this number three point is one-on-one. However, they are not there. And this gets to defending Mike Wright. There were just multiple times that, and they softened the coverage when AJ Swan came into the game because they were defending it differently because they were afraid that AJ Swan was going to fling it down the field. So it's the chicken and the egg thing. Was Mike Wright facing a more aggressive defense because he was the starter and he was facing the true defense that they would have played? Or is this the defense that Wake Forest would have been forced to play by AJ Swan playing? So that's the tough part. 
But this is not all on Mike Wright. No. I mean, there were times when they had free runners coming in, broken protections. I've only pointed out a lot of the things so far that are the examples of it being Mike Wright's fault. There is a whole other side to this coin that there are guys that were multiple times in one-on-one -on -one battles that just didn't create separation. Tight ends, experienced guys, Bresnahan, guys that were just had to create separation on a backer or a safety, get open for six yards on a little stop. Things you see all the time and they just couldn't do it so it mike wright in his defense his first and second reads were not there like they just were not there but he just didn't get to the third and fourth reads and i think that swan was facing a combo of softer coverage and the fear from wake forest that he would get to those third and fourth reads so i i think there's probably a little truth to both sides and yeah. i'd I would start AJ Swan beginning next week, but it's like the Ken Seals Mike Wright take is that doesn't mean Mike Wright's not going to see the field because the two quarterback system that I want to see, I would love to see where it's AJ Swan and it truly is whoever is rolling and however the defense is playing the guy, that's who goes because Mike Wright knows the offense. AJ may have a little more limited understanding of the full playbook. That's great. Start Mike Wright, but play them both with the idea that whoever is playing the best is going to continue to play. And it's not a yank them if there's a turnover. Have something in place beforehand and then say, but if either of you are coming off a drive that is just looking crisp, that was stopped by a penalty, you're going to get the next drive. Or if you're coming off a touchdown drive, you are without a doubt have rules established with both of the guys. So you're not just randomly rotating them in and out of the game, but I think that's your best option at this point. Cause I don't think you really know what you have. Yeah, no, it, it, there's a lot to go through. I don't want to be Vanderbilt's coaching staff right now. They've got, they've got a decision to make. It, it's there to make. And uh, we'll have to see, we'll have to see. Will, um, I, as bad as Mike Wright played as tough as a day it was for him. I'm excited to see what he does against NIU. I mean, this is a great mm -hmm. bounce back opportunity for him. I mean, it's right there for him. And it will be interesting, though, Will. Say he fumbles early, you know, maybe a pick early, a couple turnovers like he did against Wake. What happens? What ha who, who goes in? I mean, who, that's, that's the question. So um, I think we both know the answer, and, but it'll be interesting to see. What, what is this coaching staff having meetings about right now? What are they talking about in the office? Uh, because I'd love to be a fly in the wall uh, right there for those conversations. Will, that's our recap, man. Whew, talk about beef. I uh, feel like I just ate a, a 16 ounce steak after that. Need it, need a glass of wine to, to, to even it, it all didn't out. even get to like 90% of the stuff I'd written down either, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I think I prepared for like a 10 hour podcast. Yeah, it could be. It, it, this, this could have been, I don't think we have a zoom limit, but uh, I got to get some sleep. Well, uh, let's one more thing. God, we do have one more thing. Is Vanderbilt a one-point underdog against NIU? Is that uh, they're currently a two-and-a-half-point underdog on FanDuel. Wow. Two-and-a-half on FanDuel. But I've looked at other sites, and at one point I saw Vanderbilt as a one-point favorite. Yeah, it, so it's So it's, it's, it's been swinging back and forth depending on where you looked. And at one point uh, I saw somebody tweet, and then I checked it, and they were right. Uh, it was There was still a VIG on it. But you could get both Vanderbilt and NIU, depending on where you looked, at plus two-and-a-half at one wow. point now you would have lost money if you bet like in that way but or maybe it depends you would have created a middle for yourself but it was pretty interesting how vegas doesn't really know how yeah, to set the line I, on this game so they're just kind of like 
pick it yeah. and try to get it. They're literally doing a pick them that you're going to see this line go back and forth because they're just going to try to get 50% of the money on basically money line. They're yeah, just going to try to get 50% on each side. So that's a little tougher than normal when you have a regular, more basic line. A little bit tougher, a little bit tougher. We will have a full NIU uh, preview coming up later this week. Uh, well, I think it's going to be a pick them. I think maybe, if anything, NIU a one-point favorite. I don't know that it gets up to two, uh, but who knows? Who the hell knows with Vegas right now? Uh, it depends on what the who the money's coming in on, as you just said, Will. But that does it. Episode 177 of the Door Report. We've got a, a big NIU preview uh, coming up later this week. Big game for Vanderbilt. Uh, but, Will, that does it. That does it uh, for episode 177 Beefy. of the Door Report, <laughs> powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. <laughs>